And he calls all of us through these words to those disciples to do the same thing. He, acknowledging their fear in which they are gathered, he calls them not to endorse it or empower it, but instead to let faith, faith in the perfect love of God, drive out their fear. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious and holy Lord, we give you thanks in this resurrection season that our faith in you, who is the source of all love, that our faith drives out our fear in this fearful time. We ask, O Lord, that you bless us as we reflect upon your word this day. We pray for the power of your Holy Spirit that we may rightly grasp its significance and grow in our trust of you. This we ask through the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's an interesting reading to come up during the Easter season because it's actually taking us back before Jesus' crucifixion. In preparation for the coming season of Pentecost when we will be following not only a risen but an ascended Lord who is not present to our senses, we are reminded of the difficulty of following a God whom we cannot see. This episode, this much beloved episode, and it is much beloved, I've, been, I've probably had this as a request for a gospel reading more than any other gospel reading at funerals because of the comfort it brings us to know the, the words that are proclaimed here. This much-beloved gospel occurs in the middle of what is called the farewell discourse by scholars in John's gospel, which spans many chapters and is essentially Jesus saying goodbye. It's Jesus' last will and testament to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And it are hugely significant things as part of our faith, including Jesus' great command to love one another through service as He has loved us, and indeed His high priestly prayer, where He prays for all of us, as indeed He continues to intercede for us from the right hand of the Father. But in this episode, the disciples are gathered in fear, much like the fear that oppresses us, If you go out in public, even just to grab something from the grocery store nowadays, you're assaulted by the view of unusual things. 
shopping carts with police lines across them, controlling your entrance to and from the grocery store, people in masks, people terrified to come too close to one another, people who yell at one another if someone gets closer than they're comfortable. The disciples were surrounded with visions that made them also recognize the difficulties in which they were. Surrounded with visual stimulus that told them to be fearful. The Romans were present on every street corner. And you could not miss the superiority of their weapons and their military organization. You knew too that your own government The religious leaders and those who ruled your people were in bed with the ruling party, these interlopers from outside. Indeed, not long before our episode in today's Gospel, Thomas has said to Jesus, or has said to the other disciples about Jesus, let us go to Jerusalem with him and die there. For that's what they anticipated happening. So fear is the context into which Jesus speaks these magnificent words that I am the way, the truth, and the life and calls these disciples of His to not pay attention to the fear that is stimulated by all they see around them but rather to trust in the God whom they cannot see because He, Jesus, is standing before them as a representative, as the image as the very icon and person of God Himself. He is an image of the Father, and as the Son of God, He is God present to them. And He calls all of us through these words to those disciples to do the same thing. He, acknowledging their fear in which they are gathered, He calls them not to endorse it or empower it, but instead to let faith Faith in the perfect love of God drive out their fear and empower them to true discipleship to this God. And he says some radical things here. He calls attention, as he often does, to himself. And this time, at the very turn of our last verse, says that if you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. He doesn't say, if you ask in my name, the Father will give it to you. He says, I will give it to you. It's impossible to to state how significant these words are. Christ is calling Himself God, the grantor of prayer. Now, because of this huge significance of this verse, there are some prosperity preachers who focused in on that word, anything, and turned the invocation of Christ's name into sort of a magic formula that we can use to conjure Jesus like a genie out of a lamp to give us all that we would want. After all, it says anything that we ask. But while it has the virtue of taking Jesus at His word, which, frankly, some liberal theologians fail to do, it fails to take seriously enough the context into which Jesus spoke those words. 
and the significance of the preceding verses. So let's spend a little time with that before we move on. Jesus spoke into this profoundly Jewish context with his disciples, a context in which names had a significance that went beyond simply identifying an object or person. A name was an extension of that person's reality. The reason why you didn't speak the name of God without care is that by speaking Him, He was more present in some way than He was otherwise. He was, of course, present all the time, but you made Him more present in some significant way. A person's name communicated their character and their presence in the world. Jesus' name means God saves or Yahweh saves. So the significance of calling upon Jesus' name is that we are to call upon it for the sake of salvation and not for the petty concerns of greed or wealth or status or our ambitions. Even more significantly, Jesus lived in a world of kings. And kings extended their authority through their name. A person who carried the king's name, who acted in the way of the king, acted on the king's behalf, acted with the king's authority. Someone who had been vested by the king with their authority had the ability to spend money for the king, enter the king into treaties, take actions that were officially endorsed by the king, although the king was not present. Now this is a tremendous amount of responsibility. Let's be honest, responsibility that when we're dealing with the all-powerful God of the universe, we who are sinners should not be vested with. It's not like God doesn't know we're sinners even after our conversion. Although we hope to grow in holiness through the process of sanctification, we continue to sin even as people who trust in the sinless God. So clearly, He's not giving us a license to do whatever we will. Just as the king extending his authority to a vassal or servant didn't give that servant or vassal the authority to do anything they wanted. Anything that they did in the name of the king was meant to be done, and here's the important point, in accord with the will and character of the king himself. Because that person was speaking as though the king himself were present. So that person better be really sure they understood the character of the king and understood his will, or not only would the king revoke that authority, but they could find themselves in a world of hurt for using the king's authority to do things the king would not approve of. That is the context into which Jesus speaks this profound promise that anything we ask in his name, he will do for us. The presumption is that we are in such deep relationship with him that we know his character, we know his will, and so that what we ask is in accord with his will, that he might grant it. This is a call not 
This is not, this is not a promise which gives us un, unvarnished authority. Rather, this is a promise and a call that we should enter into deep, deep discipleship with Him. Following closely after Him. Allowing His Word to be poured into us again and again and again until it begins to shape our very character that we, when we pray, might ask for what He Himself would ask for. For He is in the Father and the Father is in Him. And we are united to Him that He might be in us too. Now this kind of prayer, this prayer which is in the character of Jesus Himself, we see demonstrated for us today by Stephen, the proto-martyr. Proto is just a term that means first. The first Christian martyr for the faith. That even as they're stoning him, he is praying for those who are throwing the stones. As Jesus prayed for those who were driving the nails when he was being nailed to the cross. This takes a profound transformation of our character. We have to be present to the Word of God daily, just as were those early disciples, in order for our character to be so transformed that we can pray in that moment of duress, in that Christ-like way. I have found that it takes very little to stimulate my ire and irritation, let alone to pray for those who are stoning me even as the stones are pummeling my body. We need to be transformed by the Word of God, being present to it so that the Holy Spirit can use it to change our character and bring us into the fullness of what we've been claimed for. And that's what Peter's letter is about today. When Peter talks about longing for the pure spiritual milk of God's Word as though we were a babe in need of hunger. And think of how a baby just cries out when they're in need. He's doing that in the context of talking about us being born again in chapter 2, immediately before this. He's calling us to allow the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to have its way with us. See, we've been given new life when we're born again. And yet, that new life isn't fully realized. The gift is fully given to us, but it's not fully realized yet. We have to grow up. We have to mature like a baby who has all the capacities they'll ever have, but hasn't, through training, realized the full extent of what those gifts are for. We need that training through the Word of God, that we might in the end proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness and into His own marvelous light. Proclaim those excellencies through prayer, through our behavior, in every possible way. And we most proclaim those excellencies when we can fully acknowledge our fear caused by what we see around us, but can more fully trust 
in the God whom we cannot see. Because Jesus, in His life and His actions, His words, makes that God visible to us. Then, then we can act out of what our out of step with what our natural reactions would be in a fearful situation. Calling not down curses upon the head of a world that resents at times and hates us the way it resented and hated our master. But rather asking God to forgive their sins. Stepping out to serve and love that world even as Christ stepped out to love and serve us who would crucify Him. This is an especially important thing for us to remember in the current crisis before us. I want to close by sharing an episode that a member of the church shared with me they went through recently. They were in a grocery store, and this person's a little on the short side. They couldn't reach something on the top row. And they saw another person in the, in the aisle with them and said, hey, would you reach up to that top shelf for me and, and grab that down? I can't quite reach it. And the person they asked freaked out. Started yelling at them, get an employee, do I look like I work here? And ran away, literally ran away from them in that aisle. Their face covered with a mask just as our members was. They ran away from an opportunity to help. They could have simply taken that from the top shelf and placed it on a lower shelf and stepped back. They didn't need to violate the social distancing rules. But instead, their fear dominated their heart so much that they couldn't choose to help in a terribly insignificant way a neighbor. We need to have our fear driven out by love and faith. Love for our God, faith in His purposes and His love for us. That we might continue to act as servants of one another and our neighbors. Be the royal priesthood for which we have been claimed. And to which Peter calls us, reminds us of our identity in Christ. So that if someone asks us to help in this current duress, they won't think to themselves as we run away, screaming, who was that masked man? But instead, like people used to say of the Lone Ranger, who was that masked man? That they might help. And so we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness and into His own brilliant light. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, you have vouchsafed to us the most precious thing imaginable, your Son. And he has vouchsafed to us his name that we might call upon him in joy and in duress. Lord, help us to see you through him. Help us to trust in your good and loving purposes for us. Help us to grow in our character that it might reflect more the character of him who claimed us 
that we might give our lives in self-sacrifice to all those around us, to our brothers and sisters in the family of faith, and then out into a world that neither knows you nor loves you and may at times despise you and so may despise us. Grant us that steadfastness of purpose and character that we may grow up into the fullness of what you have claimed us for, to be a royal priesthood, your sons and daughters, loving and serving you and showing your character to the world. This we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For He lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light.